For scripture reading, we turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. couple of ideas that are seen in the book of Second Peter is one that there's a reference to this idea of growth in, in knowledge, grow in grace and knowledge. And to take note of that when there's reference to this idea of growth and of knowledge and of heeding the word. And we'll see that in the we see that in the first chapter here. And the epistle ends by saying, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Another point is that there's reference to the, the coming of Christ. And there's reference to that here in this chapter here, but that there's a reference to uh, the fact that there will be scoffers in the last day that will say, where is the promise of his coming? And so on. So it's another idea that he talks about knowledge and studying the word and, and also from the viewpoint of how it speaks about the coming of Christ, the power and coming of Christ, and how there are many scoffers and there are many false teachers. Um, we read the chapter, 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his, divine, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this, uh, the, the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. 
We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures tonight, and the text that we consider is verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ uh, chose this text for the applicatory service uh, tonight. Uh, one reason is that I'm currently working in this on the subject of the prophetic uh, work of Christ, is Christ's work as prophet studying different passages that speak about Christ's work as prophet. And also, because this reference here to the, the fact that that word is sure or established or firm, sometimes translated as steadfast or firm, and then the verses following that speak about the inspiration of Scripture, there's an exhortation here about us heeding the word and how this word is to guide us. It's like a light that's shining. And in this life, you know, we're in the midst of darkness. And that we need the guiding light. And the danger is that one be looking elsewhere than at this, and then looking to this light for, for guidance and for ideas. And that we not be spending the time that we ought to in really studying the Word and looking to what the Word says on matters, but that we be following our own feelings or what we call our own experience, or that we hear those who would try to persuade us. And there are those that are very busy trying to persuade us in thinking whatever they've got, some agenda, and they're trying to push some agenda, and people can get caught up listening to and using the, the Internet and uh, the cellular service to be able to communicate and to get and to be listening to the ideas of the world. And that the ideas that people start to express are not ideas that are coming from the scriptures. And sometimes they don't really want to talk about what their ideas are. Perhaps because they know they're not going to be able to prove it from Scripture. And it's important that we be able to say that we know and are confident that this is what the Scriptures say. And also that this passage speaks to us about the prophetic word that speaks to us about the power and coming of Christ. And that there's going to be a, a coming judgment. And there are those that will talk as if that, you know, that's not going, that's really not going to happen. 
And one of the themes that you can see in certain epistles, I mean, it's really throughout the scriptures, but one thing that is seen in a number of the New Testament epistles is that whereas in some epistles you have stressed the idea that we're justified by faith and not by works, and it is still the case that we have to, over against all heirs of conditions, be understanding and holding to the truth of particular grace and an unconditional covenant and see the seriousness of those that deny these. And on the one hand, we don't, we don't say that those that are in churches where this is denied that you know there's no believers in there we don't we don't say that but it is important that we show from scripture what the truth is on it and that we maintain that 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 is accurate and there are you know a number of passages and especially a number of epistles that speak a lot about justification by faith unconditional covenant and so on And then there are, there's also that this theme of the warning against thinking that, you know, that thinking that when you, you're in the church, you know salvation's by grace alone, that people wouldn't be really going to the word much themselves. There's a stress here about the importance of growth. And there are those that would hear the word and, well, they don't really heed what it says. And they're continuing to walk in sins. They're not really turning from them. And if one is thinking, well, you know, salvation is by grace alone. And then they're continuing on in a sin and they're not turning from it. The warning about the judgment that comes upon those that do not heed the word. And we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When we talk about the power and coming of Christ, he's coming as judge. And that we must take heed to the word. Which is a warning against any, anybody that's going to just hear what God says and they, they're, they're not going to really heed it. They're just going to continue on doing what they know they ought not do. And sometimes gathering week after week, knowing that they're walking in a certain sin and leaving the worship service and they're still not returning. It's very important that we heed the word, the light that shines in a dark place and so from that point of view too we consider this in an applicatory service tonight we consider this under the theme heeding the prophetic word we consider first of all the prophecy or the prophetic word secondly the guidance as it speaks about the light that's guiding in this life it is a light that guides us, and then thirdly, from the viewpoint of the of the heating. First of all, with regard to the idea of the prophecy, or literally, we have in this text the prophetic word. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, or or the idea of the prophetic word. And as was brought out, that word sure can mean steadfast or firm or established. Now, the prophetic word prophecy refers to more than just referring to the future. When we talk about the word of prophecy or the prophetic word, it it does refer to what's going to happen in the future. But the prophetic word, a scripture being referred to as the prophetic word, it speaks to us about 
what God has done. It speaks to us about what he is doing. It speaks about what Christ has done, what he is doing, and also about what will happen. So it's not simply, it's not only about the future when we talk about the prophetic word. Also, that the word of God is a unity. There's a reference to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament scriptures, sometimes referred to as the prophets or the law and the, uh, the law and the prophets. And then what we have also in the New Testament, it's one word. That it's the same truth that is set forth, the same gospel of Christ that's set forth in the Old Testament and the New and that in both the old dispensation and in the new, people have been saved by faith in Christ before they looked to the coming of Christ. And now we as Christ who has come and will return, who has suffered and died for us, who has arisen and so on, and will return, we uh, believe in that Jesus who was spoken of in the Old Testament and in who now has come. And that word is infallibly inspired. It's God-breathed and thus is without error. We're used to hearing that and that's that's good. There are many that deny it, or there are those who will say they hold to it, but then they very quickly find fault. They, they'll find at various places that they find fault, you know, that there are errors in the Bible. And we say, you know, the scriptures are without error. They're verbally inspired. By ver when we use the word verbally inspired, Inspired has the idea that they're God-breathed. That's the idea of inspired, that they're God-breathed. Verbal inspiration carries with it the idea that each word, that we're to consider each word as being exactly the word that God wanted there. So it's not just like somebody says, well, the general idea in, in the passage is the word of God, but that we see the significance of each word. And that it's word for word what God would have be here. And that applies to both the Old Testament as well as the New. Now, verses 20 and 21 are two of, one of two passages that we very often refer to about the inspiration of Scripture. No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They didn't give just their, their own private ideas on matters, but what they gave was the word of God. It was the word of God that they wrote. Same is true in the New Testament. Even if Peter or Paul is writing a letter and is expressing things that they want to express to whoever they're writing to. It's the case, and even though you can tell the difference between Peter's writings and Paul's or Paul's and John's, it's still the case that God was guiding each one of these men. He had prepared them and he guided them to write precisely what he would have them to write. And the Old Testament was infallibly inspired bef before, before Christ came. You know, it was the case that there was, it was, we, they had the Old Testament. Now it's the case that the Son has come. The things that were spoken of, so for those that had the Old Testament, now it's the case that the Son has come. Just as the scriptures say, he has come. He was transfigured, as was mentioned 
in the previous verses. It says that uh, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then makes a reference to the transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured on the mount. Now he has come. And the promises have been fulfilled. The full realization of everything that is promised is certain. It was the case all along, of course, that what God has said was certainly going to happen. But now one can look at it too and say, look, the, the promise has been fulfilled. And then the full, re we know, now when we look forward to that full realization, we do so as those who know that Christ has come. Just as God said that, it, that, the, that he would. Also, what we have in the New Testament, what we have in the New Testament, we have what was spoken by the Son himself and those who heard him. And that that is a subject that comes up in a number of places. That in the old, and we've been looking at this in Christian fellowship society. That in the Old Testament, God spoke by the prophets. And there were times when, when someone, you know, had a message from an angel. Now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. His son. We've heard his, the son. And Jesus told a parable about that. We're sending, the, where there, there was one servant sent and another servant, you know, sent, and people were mistreating him. Well, then he sends, then the son goes. They'll reverence my son. And they say, ah, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and seize upon his inheritance. So that distinction that there were before he was sending the prophets to them, and now the son himself, the son himself, of whom God from heaven said, this is my beloved son, hear him, hear him. And Peter said, we heard that. We heard that. Now the son has come, he has spoken, and we read, that how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. That's Hebrews 2 verse 3. It speaks of how we, the salvation that was spoken by the Lord himself and was confirmed by those who heard him. You know, the apostles who heard him. And we have that in the scriptures. We have the word of the, well, we have what the son has said and what was confirmed by those who heard him. And it speaks to us about the, the, that word, that prophetic word speaks to us about the power and coming of Christ. In the Old Testament, it spoke about the coming of Christ and about his suffering and the glory that would follow. And now in the New Testament, we read of those who saw and heard the Messiah himself. And who saw and heard what is mentioned in the previous verses. I'm making a reference to the transfiguration because of the fact that this is what he talked about right before the verse, the text. When he says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you, what did we make known unto you? The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 16. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses. P 
Peter was one of those that was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. The Transfiguration. Where he was transfigured and shined as a light. You know, that it was like a shining light. And, you know, he has a, he receives a foretaste, if you will, of the glory that Christ would have after his suffering and death. And it was also a revelation of that. Now, this word that speaks, that's from the Son, that the Son has spoken, and it was confirmed by those who heard him, that word, along with the Old Testament, that says the same thing, and, and the script, the New Testament is repeatedly, what is said in the New Testament is repeatedly, they, you go to the... Writers went to the Old Testament and says, and then this is what the scripture said in the Old Testament. Pointing out the unity of that word. That word, which is sure, firm, is like a guiding light. We right now are in a time of well, we're in this word, we're in the midst of this dark world. The word we have is as a light that shines in a dark place. A translated dark is said to be perhaps like a, a dry or gloomy place, uh, or dirty. A light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn. And there seems to be an indication here that it's talking about right now we're living in the midst of this dark world and then when the, uh, and eventually it'll be the case that there will be the dawning of the day. Right now we see as through a glass darkly. <laughs> then face to face. Till the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. And the Bible does direct us to consider the difference between then when we see face to face what will happen. Bible speaks to us about, you know, the coming of the coming of Christ. It speaks to us about the the what we will one day know. Now in this life we see as through a glass darkly. And the scriptures is a guiding light. Speaks of deliverance from sin and death. We need to know how great our sins and miseries are. We need to know how we're delivered from our sins and miseries. And the scriptures tell us how great our sins and miseries are. And it talks about total depravity, that we're dead. We can't do anything good. And many people deny that. But it's true. An unbeliever cannot do anything good. He can't fulfill some condition. He's dead. Salvation is all of grace. Scriptures speak of how we've been delivered. We've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We've been delivered from our sins and miseries. It also talks to us how we're to express our gratitude to God. And that light is shining. It says a light that shines in this dark place. And an illustration that's been used is like a ship that's looking for the lighthouse. And one understands that one of the reasons for a lighthouse would be that there was danger in the, as far as crashing up against, say, some rocks. 
and exactly where is the ship supposed to go? What's the, and they were to, to see, look at the lighthouse. Lights were used in various ways, you know, to guide ships when they were coming in. And also to know, you know, where, where, where's the harbor? Where are they headed? And the danger if somebody doesn't have the light to guide them. Well, that's talking about a ship coming into a harbor. How about us in this world, in the midst of people who are making up these cunningly devised fables, which is myths? Many people make up stories, cunningly devised stories that are not in harmony with the word. The second chapter warns about false prophets. We need constantly to go to the word, and there's, there's many dangers. You know, without the light, one's going to wander or stumble, you know, wander, stumble without the light. We need the word. We constantly need to go to the word. What man comes up with is not reliable. It's not reliable. There are those that would tell us lies, looking at just some things that are mentioned in Second Peter now. Second Peter 2, verse 10, speaks about those that would try to promote the idea of rejecting authority. That's mentioned in 2 Peter 2, verse 10. And there are those that come up with their various stories and theories and so on that have as an idea to promote the rejection of those in positions of authority. On the one hand, we've got to be on guard against the abuse of authority. We very much have to be on guard against the abuse of authority. But also the rejection of authority. You just don't listen to anybody that's in a position of authority over you. People, you know, the scriptures speak about those that would do that despise those in positions of authority. Warning about that in, in the last days. Or returning to the pollutions of this world. There's so much promotion of sexual sins, and then it gets to the point where it's tolerated in churches. That you have people that are divorced and remarried and it's tolerated. They're divorced and remarried, their original spouse, their, their spouse still lives, they've married somebody else, and it's tolerated. Or that there's those that go in the direction of homosexual sins or transgender ideas. or There's such a variety of different things today. And for these things to be tolerated, so there's no discipline for them. And the young people see that. There's no discipline for these. It can be quite obvious that somebody's walking in this sin or that, you know, a sexual sin of that sort. No discipline. Well, people say it's okay. People say it's okay. People say divorce and remarriage is okay. Somebody might trust their own feelings. Admittedly, it's difficult when you talk to a couple that has been divorced and now has been married somebody else, and if they have children, to tell them, well, that's an adulterous union, and you really have to break that off. 
admittedly, that's, that's, that's difficult. And yet, we can't say that, well, in that case, they can stay married. When the scriptures don't say that, Or let's say that you have a, a woman or a, or a man, for that matter, that, you know, is abused and the husband and wife aren't living together. And now maybe this happens when they're very young. Let's say a woman that's been abused very early on in marriage and they've been living separately now and then to say that woman, she can't marry somebody else. So she's going to either be reconciled to her husband or she's going to continue on in a single. And if one looks at that and thinks of how difficult that might be and think, well, in that case, maybe, maybe in her case, maybe she could. Well, that isn't coming from the word. That's the light that shines in the dark place. That's not where one is going for those kind of ideas. And yet many, many follow those ideas. Sometimes people make a reference to their conscience. They're going to do something because in their conscience, I can't with a good conscience do anything else. Now when somebody says that, Somebody can say that from the viewpoint of thinking, now you can't try to talk to me about it because I've made a reference to my conscience. And if somebody makes a reference to their conscience, we still go to the word and say, well, you may say that you think you're convicted that this is wrong or that this is right. Let's go to the word and see if that's the case. If it really is the case that what you say you're convicted of is true. Or if, it's, or if it's not. And there are many, many ideas in social media. People can get really caught up in them. And the conversations keep going, so you can just keep watching what people are saying, and people can get really caught up in some, have some very strange ideas. And you can come, you come across at times people that say things and want you and want you to prove something, they to show them they're wrong when their idea is very bizarre. Wonder where where are they getting some of these bizarre ideas? They're not getting it from here. And yet there there are many of these conspiracy kind of theories that have some bizarre uh, ideas along with them. We're familiar, of course, with the science that's falsely so-called. And for some, they get really caught up in that. There may be a number of us that that, you know, we don't really think of that too much as that we're going to be persuaded of that. But there are some that do go into the realms of science. And they listen to the arguments of very skilled scientists. And then they start to wonder if maybe, maybe what they've been taught and what they've been raised thinking really isn't accurate after all. And they start listening to their theories. And they're not looking to the word. They're not looking to the word that guides them. What does the scripture say? Remember hearing a story once of somebody talking about this, that as a younger man he kept, he was listening to these ideas of the world and then he'd go to his dad afterwards and he'd say, well, they're saying this, they're saying that. And his dad kept saying, well, what does the scripture say? And it struck him. Because that's exactly where he needed to be pointed. Well, what does the scripture say? That's the light. That's what's directing us as to where we're to go. We have to look at the scriptures to guide us. 
in the decisions we make about what we believe and also with regard to practices. And we must heed what the scriptures say. And the scriptures here say, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. There's a number of passages that warn about, and this brings us back to what we talked about in the first point. Now the Messiah has come. Now we have what we have in addition to the Old Testament, we also have the, the New Testament. The Son has come, and the God guided the apostles to write what, we, what they've written. We have together the Old and the New Testament together, this word that's infallibly inspired. If we neglect that, the seriousness of that sin, is pointed out in a number of verses. For example, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and so on? How should we escape if we neglect? This is Hebrews 2, the first three verses. That was, that was 2 and 3. Now, verse 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And that word slip has the idea like flowing by. I say slip away. There's a number of passages like this. Uh, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, and it's making a reference to what happened at Mount Sinai. This is Hebrews 12, 25 and 26. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he had promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Christ the Son now speaks to us from heaven. And we're not going to listen to what he says? We're not going to heed his word? The judgment that would come upon anybody that would reject the word. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We all must remember that. And on the one hand, our scriptures rightly refer to that as as a comfort to the child of God who's walking by faith, who believes, who's sorry for his sin. It's a comfort to us to know that the judge is going to be the same one that died for us. And for those that are sorrowing for their sin, for those who are comforted by what's set forth in the Lord's Supper this morning, that directs us to the sacrifice of Christ as the only ground for our salvation and who are comforted knowing that Christ is nourishing our soul unto everlasting life and as those who confess that we don't serve God with the zeal that we ought none of us can say we look to the word as we ought none of us can say that sometimes you know ministers of the word sometimes say you know I'm laboring in the word all the time But even though that's the case, seeing how important it is that I be really heeding that word, taking heed to myself.
meditating on that word and how it applies to me personally. Well, none of us can say we, he, we, we serve God with the zeal that we are. Those who are sorry for their sins, we have comfort knowing we're forgiven. And we look forward to the return of Christ. But it's a serious, the, the warning to those that would hear the good news of the gospel and just continue on in their sin and they don't turn and they don't intend to turn. When it speaks of those that would refuse him that speaketh. That Christ speaks about what we're to believe. He has told us what we're to believe. The doctrines that we hold to were taught by Christ. So it isn't a small matter to just not confess them and to teach the opposite. It's, it's not a small matter. And the things that he's taught to us about sinful practices and that the scriptures tell us it's a serious matter when somebody refuses to repent. We need to heed the word. That God has given us with our eye on the power and coming of Christ. And we're to heed the word about instructing those you know we understand that somebody might hold to a position that's wrong and they don't know it's wrong they've never had it shown to them well there's a difference between that and somebody who's deliberately going against what the scriptures teach We're to heed the word ourselves, confess what Christ has taught, and we're to be busy showing people what the word of God says. And when we hear the verses that they bring up in opposition, perhaps concerning divorce and remarriage, for example, that we go to the scriptures with them and we show them, but that's not what the scriptures say. Maybe they've been told that it does, it's important for us to show them that, that it's not so. There's many people that are told that God desires to save everyone. We know that. It's not that everybody that says that's an unbeliever. Many people, that's, they've only talked to people that have said that. God so loved the world, they've never heard anybody say any otherwise. And we're to show them that that's, that God show, says in Scripture that he has chosen certain people, and they are Christ's sheep, and he laid down his life for them, and how important it is to see God's sovereignty and to see that he accomplishes his purposes. And that we show that from the Word, and that we be patient with people. They may have lots of questions. If somebody... You know, there's different kinds of questions. There's questions that people ask because they're opposed to what the Word says. And they throw one question after another question after another question. After another, and they're not really listening to you when you're talking to giving them answers. Because they're, they're wanting to oppose. There's a difference between that and somebody that's asking questions because they really want to learn. And they don't, under, they don't know. How do you explain the things that, how do you show from Scripture that their ideas are wrong? And to take the time to, to show them. And in mission work, that can take some time. A good example of that is the doctrine of infant baptism. There are times when you can find, talk to a person about what we call the five points. And they will confess, they, they, or they may already confess those doctrines. And they see those are taught in Scripture. But then you get to that doctrine of infant baptism, and they think, no, no, God, God doesn't promise he's going to save every one of our children. We say, well, you know, we're not saying that. But it can take some time 
to talk to somebody that holds to that position. You know, they want us to show a passage that has a child sprinkled. Well, we don't have a passage like that, but that doesn't mean we can't prove from Scripture that we're to baptize children and that we can show passages that speak about that subject that's, that sprinkling is, is appropriate. We can show that. And it's important for us to go to the Word and be patient and work with people, heeding what God says and telling others, which is what the Apostle Peter himself, he was saying, we do well to take heed to this Word, and he himself was also teaching it, teaching it to others. The Lord has taught us, he teaches us, that we might also teach others with humility and that we may show, first of all, in our own life that we're taking heed to ourselves and that we're heeding the word and then heeding that word also that tells us go forth and, and bear witness to the truth. And we desire to show in our life our gratitude to God. Grow. Continue to study the word as the second Peter ends with that uh, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, and our Father, we are thankful, O Lord, for thy grace, thankful for the word of truth. We are thankful, O Lord, for the guidance that thou dost give. And may we be guided by that word of truth and in all of the ideas that we hear. May we constantly go to the word to see what does the word say on these things. Guide us, O Lord. We are thankful for thy word and strengthen us to do what thou dost say, that we may be not just hearers, but doers of the word, and show our thankfulness to thee for what thou hast done. Grant this to us, grant this to our children, and to our grandchildren. In Christ's name we pray, amen.